Being a Better Man, Episode 49, The One and Only Larry Wingett. You have just entered a world governed by personal accountability where being a man is not an excuse for bad behavior. Where complaints are not allowed, whining is forbidden, and excuses do not exist. Prepare to have your thoughts provoked, your ego challenged, and your character tested. It's time for Being a Better Man. Here's your host and fellow man in the trenches, Alf Herrigstad. Hey everybody, welcome back to Being a Better Man. I'm your host, Alf Herrickstad, and today is a very special day indeed, because today we're joined by one of the most influential men on the planet, Larry Wingett. For good reason, Larry is known as the pit bull of personal development. He has spoken to nearly 400 of the Fortune 500 companies and is in the International Speaker Hall of Fame. He's been the host of his own show on A&E. He's a regular contributor on several national news programs talking about business, parenting, personal finance, and personal development. Larry is a prolific author of several books. Some of my favorite titles are Grow a Pair, Shut Up, Stop Whining, and Get a Life, You're Broke Because You Want to Be, People Are Idiots and I Can Prove It, and Your Kids Are Your Own Fault. He's a six-time Wall Street Journal, New York Times bestselling author. I first noticed Larry a couple years ago and was immediately a fan of his straightforward, logical, common sense, unapologetic, no-nonsense approach about things that matter. When I was in the process of starting this podcast, I knew that one day I would try to have Larry on the show. And that day has arrived, my friends, and it's a pretty big deal for me personally. I'm proud to welcome Mr. Larry Wingett to the Being a Better Man microphone. Welcome to the show, Larry. Hey, I appreciate you having me, and those are nice things you said. I do appreciate that. Is there anything uh, you'd like to add, anything I missed? (laughs) No, you pretty much (laughs) covered it all. That introduction was so good, I can't wait to hear what I've got to say. (laughs) Awesome. Well, uh, I was looking at your website, and I came across Larry's number one rule for life and business, and that's do what you said you would do when you said you would do it the way you said you would do it. I love that, and it's directly in line with the philosophy of this show. Could you expound on the importance of that rule a little bit? Well, it is, I believe, one of the most important things I've ever said. Uh, And to me, it's the way I live my life. It's the way I run my business. It's uh, a statement that's based in integrity and honesty. And uh, and as I've looked at that line over the years, what I've come to realize is that's all anybody wants from us. That's what our customers want from us. Customers want us to do what we said we would do when we said we would do it the way we said we would do it. By the way, that's what our kids want from us as parents. They want their parents to do what they said they would do when they said we'd do it the way they said we'd do it. And that's what we as parents want from our kids. That's what we want from our husband or our wife. That's what we want from our friends. This is what we want from our employees and our employees want from us. We want a statement of integrity that says when you say it, And when you promise something, you will do it exactly as you said you would. I think it's one of the most powerful ways to live your life and run your business. Well, well said. I could not agree more. And uh, what you said about parenting specifically, I noticed I was a divorced parent, and then I got custody of my kids. And one thing I really noticed that my kids appreciated was consistency and following up and doing what I said. So it's really like a, a good rule just for being human. Well, exactly, and, and I was in the same boat that you're talking about. I, uh, 
I, I was divorced early on, and I had my kids every other weekend. And when I made a commitment to my kids, I learned the importance of keeping that commitment to them. They counted on me. And I believe uh, that's, that's really what it's about, is when you give your words, people count on you whether it be your children or your employees or your customers. And I like it for it to work in reverse. I like to be able to count on people. I can tell you right now, if somebody says they're going to be there at 10 o'clock and they show up at 11 o'clock, I'm not doing business with them. (laughs) Uh, If my employees say they're going to do something and then they don't do it, they don't work for me anymore. It's that clear with me. It is a line in the concrete with me. Yeah, I... uh... (laughs) I could not agree more. And in talking about being a better man today than we were yesterday, one of the recurring themes of this program is that there are consequences for everything we do, both good and bad. And you sum up that idea nicely in your patented philosophy when you say your life is your own damn fault. Can you explain to the men listening what you mean by that and why it is so important? Well, we have certainly become a society of wusses and weenies where we want to blame everybody else in the world for uh, every circumstance we're going through. I like what you said about consequences. I believe consequences drive behavior, and we are robbing our kids, we are robbing society right now of the consequences of their behavior. Uh, I see it in in the finances when we were letting people off the hook for buying a house that they knew they couldn't afford when they bought it. And we forgave stuff. And, and there, were, there were no consequences for bad behavior. Uh, I, I think that's a mistake for sure. Uh, I have developed this, look, your life's your own damn fault philosophy. When I look at everything I've done for the last 25 years in the personal development industry, every book that I've written, every speech that I've given uh, all over the world, it comes down to that one basic core thought. Your life is your own damn fault. And for the people who want to argue that with me, uh, I, I'm not big on arguing with people. If people want to wallow in their mess, that's fine. I don't really care. Uh, but here's what I say. Even if something happened to you that was not your fault, what you do about it is your fault. The way you respond and react to it is your fault. At some point, you got to take responsibility and say, the mess is mine. Now, I can lay here in it or I can fix it. And that's what it's always going to come down to. You've got to take responsibility and own the mess that you're living. Yeah, and for the good things as well. If something good happens to you, hey, it's okay to uh, acknowledge that that's your fault as well. Everything is Well, you know... Yeah, success, uh, and that's the problem using the word fault. I've had this argument with a lot of folks over the year. People say fault is a negative. No, fault is a consequence. Uh, that means I caused it. Correct. I did something that caused this consequence in my life. If I'm rich, that's my fault. If I'm healthy, that's my fault. If my life is successful, that's my fault. I did the things that caused that success that wealth, that health, as a consequence in my life. It's a shame that we've gotten to the point that we only consider fault to be a negative. You know, I wrote the, the, the book, Your Kids Are Your Own Fault. That means what you did to raise your kids and how they turned out, that was your responsibility. Take ownership of it. Yeah, and it seems like today there's uh, just such a lack of the idea of consequence. I learned that lesson when I was about four years old, that everything has a result, everything I do. But it seems like kids are growing up nowadays and they're like immune to the consequence of their actions. 
Well, nobody imposes consequences. Parents are more interested in being their kid's friend instead of being uh, uh, their parent. I, I believe that we've uh, destroyed the concept of what a good family is. Family is not a democracy. Kids don't get a vote. It's an absolute monarchy. And uh, the, the father has to step up. The mother has to step up and say, I'm in charge. Too bad you don't like it. You don't have a say. <laughs> and that's when you have clear values in a family and you have disciplines, and we confuse the word discipline with punishment. Discipline, in the military you have disciplines. In religion you have disciplines. And, there, and, and businesses have disciplines. They are codes of conduct. And a family should have disciplines, codes of conduct. And when those disciplines are adhered to, there are good consequences. And when they're not, that's when the punishment comes. But the problem, most parents get stuck in there is a punishment. But that's not what it's really about, and they spend most of their time punishing when they should be establishing disciplines within their family, communicating those disciplines, teaching those disciplines. It, it, it's amazing to me how just backwards we've gotten things uh, in the last few decades. Yeah, when I was a single parent, I told my kids many times, look, I don't care if you like me, I don't care if you love me, but you will respect me. And uh, do what I tell you to. And it turns out, later on, now they love me more than anything. But uh, they respected Absolute, me first. Absolutely right. In fact, I think as a parent, especially a parent of teenagers, if your teenagers don't hate you about half the time, you're probably a lousy parent. It's <laughs> yeah. their job to hate you. That's what they're going through. Let them hate you. It doesn't mean they won't eventually love you. It doesn't mean they don't love you at the time. It just means they hate having their wings kind of clipped so they don't get in more trouble. I was that kind of teenager i can tell you probably that kind of teenager too and but my daddy drove a hard line and i'm glad he did and right now just like you said uh uh if i had both my sons who are grown men and have families of their own now write a chapter for my book your kids are your own fault and i said you know you can write the chapter you can say whatever you want to what was it like having larry winget as a father and they both said you were strict and you taught me about responsibility, and you taught me about consequences. You imposed them, and you made me feel the pain of my consequences, Dad, and it's the best thing you ever did for me. And I realize now that's, that's much of what we're not doing as parents, and we need to get back to Yeah, something we're hearing about more and more these days is the millennial generation. And I typically don't like to generalize. I know some really outstanding young millennial men but that generation as a whole is becoming a topic of debate and concern. What are your thoughts about this generation that's coming of age right now? Well, I talk a lot about millennials on television, and people can turn into Fox News, and I'll be always making some kind of comments about the millennial generation. And I hate to generalize, too, and I have people attack me when I make comments about millennials. Uh, I, I speak in generalizations. They are, on, they are always exceptions, but you can't spend all the time uh, speaking only about the exceptions. You have to look at any group of people and make generalized statement based on most of the people within that segment of society you're talking about. So I will speak now in generalizations about millennials with that caveat sure. that I've just given. Uh, millennials, for the most part, have a uh, high deservability issue. That deservability issue, that sense of entitlement was taught to them by boomer parents, baby boomer parents, people that are your age, people that are my age. We taught them that there is an expectation that someone will tell you because we hovered around them. That's the whole helicopter parent thing. We hovered around them. We did, them, did not let them feel the pain and consequences of their behavior like we've just been talking about. And so they start to 
to feel entitled that they deserve things. See, I think the only thing you're entitled to is your opinion. Everything else you got to go out there and earn. You're entitled to your opinion, but that's the end of it right there. Here's what you deserve, what you earn. That's all you deserve. Don't expect someone else to take care of you. And sadly, we create, see, we blame the millennials. That's the mistake. Uh, we should blame the boomer parents. It's all their fault. They created these kids that have that mentality. I never blame the millennials until th- they move back in with mom and daddy. And when you have over 60% of adult boomer parents right now still supporting adult 18 to 34 children financially, at some point the millennial kids need to look at themselves and say, I must be responsible for myself. They, uh, they're not interested in a lot of the things that we were interested in. It's a different generation psychologically, emotionally. Even the language they use is different. Their expectations are different. 50% of millennials said they would rather take a cut in pay uh, than have to work in a place that did not feed their soul and meet their goals. So it's just a different group of people. It's going to change the way we employ them. It's going to change the way we loan money to them. Everything's going to be changed based on how millennials think. Well, what do you think the prognosis is? I mean, going forward in the future, these people will be running the country someday. Uh, what's going to happen? Is it going to reach critical mass and they're going to have to wake up or what? No, I, I think we're in trouble. I really do. Uh, if you have a country that is run by people who think that you can't afford to take care of everybody, uh, that's going to be a rude awakening. And so there's going to be increased debt. There's going to be more entitlement programs. There's going to be more government programs stepping up to take care of folks. And I do think that we need a real change in mentality in our country before it gets so far out of hand. We're darn near there already. We got more takers than makers right now. And uh, we're in a dangerous place, I believe, in society. It's really true. And I'm not just blaming millennials for that. But I'm really not. We are at fault, really. Uh, well, you and I, we've been around for a while. We're about the same age, I think. And over the years, I know there's been several shifts in the way manhood is perceived and expressed from when I was a boy to the world we live in now. What What are your thoughts on the contemporary state of manhood in general? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's kind of a shame, man. <laughs> Where it's come from in 1970, I graduated from high school in 1970, and I know what was expected of me. I was expected to take care of myself when I graduated from high school. I was 18 years old. It was time for me to go out and make my own way. Um, now there's not that expectation. And, and, and what amazes me is, is the, the, the parents who want to argue that, that no, we need to take care of our kids for as long as they need it. So we never are forcing them to take care of themselves. So yeah, that's changed a lot about manhood. Uh, I know that I was raised that uh, when I was walking with a woman, I walked on the outside of the, of the sidewalk. When I walked up to a door, I held the door open for. It's a shame now that that many women uh, take offense to that. I don't do that because I think women can't open their own damn door. I do it because I respect women to the point that I want to do that for them. I would do it for you. If I were walking with you, I would hold the door. You know, it's just a matter of, uh, of self-respect and a respect for other people and common courtesy. So we've lost some of those things, those things along the way. Uh, we've become a, a society that hides behind the Internet, that will say anything in the world from a keyboard. 
We will call people names. We will, we will say horrible things to them. I tell them all the time on my Facebook page. If you were standing in front of me, I'd put you on your ass. <laughs> you would not say that to me face to face. And yet they think it's perfectly okay to say that on the Internet. And so we've lost that, that level of respect for other people. And there's no consequence for that. And I, I said that the other day to somebody. And of course, they said, are you promoting violence? Yeah, maybe so, <laughs> if I, with what you're saying to me right now. So, yeah, uh, manhood has changed a lot. Uh, mostly, I think it's changed from a core value standpoint. I was taught core values. My parents taught me that. Core values like honesty, integrity, pe- doing the right thing, treating people right, um, uh, respecting them, courtesy, those are hard work, ethics, a work ethic. Uh, uh, those things uh, we've just kind of let slip. Yeah, and one thing I noticed, like when I was a boy, I really aspired to the day I would become a man. I looked forward to it. That was a sure. big deal. I'm going to be a man someday. And uh, nowadays it seems like guys are just kind of drifting into adulthood without ever really knowing when they become a man, when they're not. They're half man, half boy. I don't know what's going on out there half the time. You know, at least in the Jewish faith, uh, they have a day where they right. proclaim you a man. And I almost think that's a good idea for all of us, that at some point we say, I think 13's a little young now, for, uh, <laughs> which is what the Jewish faith does. But I think that there has to come a time. Maybe we need a ceremony that says, you got to take care of yourself. Now, here's the deal. Uh, we can't expect people to come become men, and you said we, they drift into adulthood. I, I like that phrase. You're right about that. But we can't expect our children to become men unless we equip them, and we are not equipping them. It, it's amazing to me that we have uh, 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 not just men, women. I'm going to go completely across the board. Uh, we have. 18-year-olds who've never balanced a checkbook uh, because they don't carry a checkbook, but have no idea of what things cost. They don't understand finances. They don't understand. Uh, they don't know that the lights cost money. You know, some basic things like that. We are not equipping people. We, we got kids who can't change a tire. <laughs> you know, just some basic stuff like that. Yeah, I... I could tell you a lot of stories about some of those things, but I would incriminate people I know. (laughs) 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 I got my uh, granddaughter, I opened her up a a bank account uh, a while back, and we told her, look, this is uh, for the money that you earn here, and we're helping you save it for the future. This is not money you can just come and get every day. Well, first thing she does is call and says, I need money. I got friends coming over. I'm like, sorry. Uh, Her first big hard lesson that she learned. Well, I remember when... Well, when I was 16 years old getting my driver's license, I had to take all the tires off my truck. My $100 truck must a 100 bucks, and I'd take all the tires off, change all the tires, make sure I could change the oil, do all that sort of stuff. And uh, so if I got caught on the highway with a flat tire, I'd know what to do. Yeah. And we don't do any of those things. Now it's called AAA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and talking about rites of passage uh, that you brought up, I did a whole episode about it because I think it's so important. When I was a kid, probably you too, at certain stages of life, there were things that happened to you that were that were dynamic, that became a rite of passage, maybe without even intended to, but there were things that happened that 
helped you make that transition into adulthood like I'm a man now because you had to face some serious consequences or found yourself in a situation of danger or peril of some kind. Yeah. And uh, that just doesn't happen anymore to these <laughs> young kids. No, They're... it's because we, we've, uh, we've created a society that is, well, so politically correct and, and so protective that our, our kids never get put in any situation where they are called upon to, to be a man, to be a woman, to be an adult. They're just not put in that situation anymore. They're babied all the way through adulthood. And so from the cradle to the grave, we have babied society. By the way, that's what my next book is going to be about, how we've become uh, a country that babies people all the way through and in every single way. Well, and one thing I've noticed is the young millennial men like I've talked about that are really outstanding guys, they're really standing out in their generation. And you guys listening should pay attention. If you're a millennial, stand out, do something extraordinary, and you'll be running the world when the rest of your generation is, you know, just sitting around. And I like what you pointed out there. It's, it's actually become very easy for a millennial to stand out. And all you have to do is show up on time. Do what you said you would do, just like we opened the show. Uh, be responsible. Uh, respect the people you work with. Respect the company you work for. Speak well of them in all situations. Uh, work the whole time you're being paid. Some of those things that were normal for us, uh, now if you do that, you really get to stand out from the crowd, and you will be noticed. You really will be. Yep. Um, now, talking about your books, out of all the books you've written, is there one that is your favorite, or is there one that you would recommend above others that speaks specifically to men who want to be better men, or should we just buy all of them? <laughs> well, of course, I'm in the business of selling books, so I think you ought to buy all of them. <clears throat> I tell you, my favorite book is the parenting book, Your Kids Are Your Own Fault. I think that's most in, my most important book because it's really about changing the world based on changing the way we we raise our kids. So we can, and it's not a a book about parenting, really. It's a book about uh, creating adults uh, who are responsible and productive, and that's really what we're going to have to do to move forward. So I'm really fond of that book. Uh, my book, of course, Grow a Pair, uh, that's the newest book. That's a perfect book for people listening to this show, for sure. And that's about how to stop being a victim and to take back your life and your business and your sanity. It's about how to grow a pair with your money and, and with your family and, and in your business and with your customers and in society as well. And growing a pair is not about what's between your legs. It's what's between your ears. And it's about a mental mindset that we need to develop, where we know our core values and stand up for them. I noticed one of your books is translated into Norwegian. Yep, it is. That's pretty cool. Fact, my books are in over 20 languages. Can you read it in Norwegian? <laughs> I could follow some of it. <laughs> I'm still learning. There but, you go. Uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Well, I encourage everybody to head over to Larry's website, www.larrywinget.com. You can see what he's up to, read his blog, download some free stuff, and go to his online store and check out his books and other products that he has there. And there will be a link to his website on the show notes of this episode at beingabettermanpodcast.com. We're about uh, getting out of time, Larry. I, I want to thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Uh, before we wrap this up, 
Is there one thing, one bit of advice that you would give to the men listening that'll help them be a better man today than they were yesterday? Yeah, sort of a, a <clears throat> by general piece of advice on how to become more successful regardless of what your goal is. And that's to get a sheet of paper and write down where you are. And write down where you are financially, write down where you are in your relationships, with your business, your career. Just get a snapshot of your life in pretty much every different area of your life. And then do a corresponding sheet of paper, how you'd like for it to be. So on that sheet of paper, write down how you'd like your money to look, your career to look, your relationships to look. And then take another sheet of paper and write down what you're going to give up. Because success ultimately comes down to sacrifice. There are motivational bozos out there saying you can have it all. Well, you can't have it all. Uh, And it's ridiculous to tell people you can have it all. You can't. You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose between what you've got and what you want. That comes down to meaning you're going to have to give some things up. You see, you don't get more successful. You give up what's keeping you from being successful. You don't get rich. You give up what's making you broke. You don't get skinny. You give up what's making you fat. You don't get happy. You give up what's making you unhappy. So I want people to sit down with three sheets of paper, write down where you are, where you want to be, and what you're going to give up. If you do that, tomorrow will look much different for you than today did. Yeah, I can vouch for that because uh, when I first stumbled across you and found out who Larry Wingett was a couple years ago, my wife and I actually did that exercise together uh, when we heard you say it just like that. And it really works, guys. I hope you're paying attention out there because Larry has given you some critical insights today. And Larry, just thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, listen, I've had a good time. It's been fun. I hope people uh, enjoyed listening. And just if you want more, follow me on social media. Go to my website, and you get a whole lot more of this, I can tell you. Okay. Well, thank you, and uh, have a great day. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. Well, that was my talk with Larry Wingett, the pit bull of personal development himself. I think you can probably tell how he got that name. I hope you were paying attention because he really did share some valuable information. Listen to it again if you have to because we covered a lot of ground in a pretty short time there. I particularly like that final tip with the three sheets of paper. What I like about it and why I think it is so valuable is because of that final sheet of paper, that third sheet, because we all know where we are. And we mostly have an idea of where we would like to be. But how often do we consider what we need to give up to attain it? Most of the time, we only think about what we need to do to reach a goal. It's a unique concept to consider the things we are willing to give up. In fact, I think that should be your call to action from this episode. Go get three sheets of paper and do that exercise. And hey, as always, I welcome your feedback about the show. I really appreciate it. I have one listener named Brighton who always tweets about the show and shares what he got out of it. It makes my day to know how the show is making a difference to people. Over the weekend, I was talking with a young friend of mine who shared this podcast with a friend of his on a long drive. He said after about four episodes, his friend turned it off and looked at him and said, Man i got to make some changes in my life. See, that's powerful stuff, and that is the reason I'm here. So if you have a story about that, I would love to hear about it. Just go to beingabettermanpodcast.com, send me an email. Now head out into that big world on the other side of your door and be a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad signing out.